Willow Mountain. It's great to see everybody. Glad you're here. If you're a guest, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, those of you who've been around, you know you're joining us for our second week of our series, which we're calling Stretch. Say it a little more um, stretch-like. Stretch. Right, stretch. Um, any athlete will tell you how important it is to do stretching before you compete, before you go out for the big game. I got a friend. I want you to meet him. He knows a little bit about that. Uh, his name is Thomas Smith. First round draft pick into the NFL, played nine years. Buffalo Bills, most of his career, played in the Super Bowl, played for the Chicago Bears, played for the Indianapolis Colts. Knows a little something about stretching and athletics. Give it up for our own Thomas Smith. Come on, Thomas. Welcome, welcome. How you doing, man? So you played in the NFL, and you were a defensive back, right? That's correct. So that means you're trying to cover guys when they go out for the pass. You've got to be quick. You've got to move around. Who was the toughest guy you ever had to cover, would you say? Only because it's you, I'm going to say Chris Carter. What what team did he play for? The Vikings. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Um, I feel like I could get open on you. You know, I feel like I'm, I could probably... You think so? I yeah. doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> okay, we may never know. <laughs> I'll just live with my little reality there. <laughs> so, everybody, you have a great career. You've got all these big moments on the field, right? And everybody dreams of that moment where you are in the spotlight or you're scoring or making your play execute. But before the game and the performance and the joy of all that, what's behind all that off the field? Well, there's a... A lot of film study, practice time, and before the game and before um, practice, we do some stretching. Oh, what'd you say? We do stretching. Stretching. Do you see what he did there? We're talking about stretching, right? And so you, you can't go out and play in the game if you don't have some stretching done ahead of time. Now, I, I actually, even talking to you, I know that, I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but you're no spring chicken <laughs> anymore, Thomas. <laughs> right. Right, okay. Right. And in fact, you look, frankly, you look a little old and brittle to me. Wow. Um, I thought I was in great shape. But I'm just saying, age, it, it happens. You know, not everyone can be a premier athlete, a lifetime premier athlete. Right, right. So, um, but I actually heard that you kind of strained your hammy the other day, the hamstring back there, trying to be young and everything. But I got a guy that can help you with that. Everybody, welcome my friend, the guy who helps me do some stretching, Dr. John Davidson. Come on, John. All right, John. John, I got a problem here. I got an old, decrepit athlete, has-been guy. Oh, my. Oh, my. Dad, he needs some stretching. What can you do? Can you help him? Uh, I'll try. Let's All right. do it. How do we do it? On I the need, table for me, my friend. I need stretching? You need stretching. Get on the table. Get on the table. <laughs> All right. He did say you were brittle. Dr. Right. John's going to help him out. Okay, so let's start with the hamstring. This is a lab session. Sometimes we do a lecture, right? This is lab session today. So what are we going to do? We're going to stretch the hamstring. That's that one down the back of the leg, right? Yep. All right, not too far now. Not no, too far. Now, look, if it comes off... If it comes off, I do. You have duct tape. I got duct tape. Okay. <laughs> Come on, don't be afraid to hurt him. He said he's a pro athlete. Go ahead. All right, and push, that's good. That's push that good sucker. There. All right, good there. A little further. A little further. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that. What's that good. sound? <laughs> whoops. We never want to hear whoops. Okay, in the hey, office. I saw when he came in. He's got a. He's got a. He's got a really large gluteus maximus. Can you stretch that too? We we can. We can. <laughs> How do you right, stretch not, the glutes? Not too far. I got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> um, now remember, Thomas. All right, that's good. I, that's good for real. <laughs> <laughs> for real, for I real. Haven't, I haven't done anything yet. I don't believe him. Just go for it. <laughs> all no. right. So you get the. Okay. So all right. Hey, we, we get the idea. This could take all day with Thomas here. So uh, Thomas, do you feel like you're ready to play now? I'm ready to play. Okay. Uh, 
What's the truth? Is this guy ready to play right now? Well, just like every athlete, he thinks he's ready, but he's not ready yet. He, he, we'd have to do a little bit more, actually probably a lot more to get him ready, game ready. All right, so especially a guy like me with as many muscles as I have, it would probably take a long time. Years. Wow. So, just a lot of muscles, huh? <laughs> so, so the point is there's a lot of stretching that goes on before we're ready for that big glory moment. There's a lab session that's got to happen before the, uh, the performance. Hey, while we've got everybody here... Um, we, we need to have a little fun here. How about a little game situation before I let you guys go? Okay, game situation. I got a Minnesota Viking ball, okay? It's maybe symbolic. It's kind of deflated a little bit. Yeah. But uh, you be my receiver. You be the defender, cornerback. Okay, I'm back over here. Game situation. No time on the clock. What do you got? Okay. You go. Okay. Okay, got it. This will not going to work. All right. No time on the clock. In the end zone. On two. Set. Hut. Go. He's there. He makes the move. Oh, I think I got him. Oh, no. Intercepted. All right. Give it up for Thomas Smith. John Davidson, thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. All right. All right, so whether you're an athlete or not, the fact is um, stretching is really, really important in, in, uh, in our physical lives. But, you know, stretching, the concept of stretching is really important in every area of life, isn't it? Um, when, you're, when your goals get stagnant, they need to be stretched so you have new, better goals. The best relationships and friendships you have in your life are those people that stretch you in good ways, right? A marriage relationship needs to be stretched. And if you want to follow Jesus, you want to live in a real relationship with God. Not talking about, you know, some religious ritual or something like that, because that doesn't stretch anybody. But if you want to have an ongoing relationship with God and know Christ in a personal way, then you're going to be stretched. You're going to need to keep stretching and that's part of the the joy of life there's a place where you are now and i don't know where that is maybe you're not crystal clear but you kind of have some sense of where you are right now in your life spiritually and in every other way and then there's another place where you could be where you want to be right where god says you you could be and he says you should be and there's a gap between where we are now and where we could be. And the only way we get there is by doing some stretching, by growing, by maturing, by developing, by changing, doing some things differently than we're doing now. We all want the moment on the field of glory, but there's got to be some stretching that happens before we can get there. So we want to do something really practical today and, and have a lab session on some of the stretching. Because here's one thing that we're focusing on in this series, is that one of the really important ways that God stretches us is in the area of finances. He uses money like an assisted stretcher to stretch our faith, to stretch our belief, our trust in Him, to stretch a lot of things, our discipline, to stretch our courage, to stretch our joy, to stretch our blessing in life. He uses finances. That's why it's such a huge, important area. All truth is God's truth, and there are principles that apply in the financial area just like they apply. God's truth applies to muscles in our bodies. They're true every time. They're true for everybody. And uh, we're going to talk about some of those uh, today, some of those financial principles of God's blessing, kind of like get on the table and let's do some stretching that everybody can do so we're ready. You know, as a pastor, I, um, I hear a lot from people about um, their pain with finances. Um, you know, people get into trouble with, you know, get, get in over my head with debt or feel like they're out of control with their spending or... Maybe there's a gambling issue that comes in or some kind of problem to get upside down and it creates a lot of stress and difficulty in people's lives. There's a lot of pain. But there's also 
There's also, uh, as a pastor, I get to hear a lot of the, the blessing. I get to hear a lot of great stories of people who have turned their lives over to God, including their finances, and who have these surprise, amazing miracles, story after story of just how they just experience the blessing of God in their life and their finances in every other area. I don't know any other way to explain it other than that's just the way it works. When you stretch, there's some, a little bit of discomfort sometimes, but there's a big payoff. And you avoid injury, you avoid pain, and you get the blessing. That's what we want to talk about today is some ways that you can maybe have a little discomfort by stretching, but you'll avoid a lot of pain and you'll get a lot of the blessing, okay? I'm a frequent flyer at uh, my, my rehab places because I've had so many sports injuries over the years, broken bones and torn muscles and separated joints and all. And I saw one time uh, when I was there, they had a, a thing on the wall that said the Ten Commandments of Stretching. And I don't remember what they were, but they were things like, hey, uh, you know, stretch every day or stretch even when uh, it's a thou shalt stretch even if you don't feel like you need to, that kind of thing. Well, I want to give you Ten Commandments today for stretching in this area of finances according to God's principles so you can have less pain, more blessing. Fair enough? Huh? Okay, let's do it. Now, these are things that I think you're going you're gonna, to uh, see. Some of them are common sense. Some of them you're going to check off and you're going to go, you know what, I already do that. Some of you are going to be like, wow, that's a challenge and a stretch for me. Figure out where God's speaking to you from His Word today. Let's look at number one. And don't worry if you're concerned, you know, because I've got ten points. We're going to try to rattle through quickly in the message today. Don't worry. Next week I'll make up for it. It'll be pointless. So, okay. All right, here we go. Number one, thou shalt work hard. Everybody say it with me. Thou shalt work hard. This is a biblical principle. And it's funny because sometimes we kind of think of work as like a nuisance or a curse, you know? Like work is something I have to kind of do to get out of the way in order to, for me to get to the good stuff, which is relaxation and leisure. But the Bible says what we all kind of know to be true in our own experience. And that is that we feel great after a good, hard, honest day's work. When we work hard and, and at something, it feels good because that's what we're made to do. God is a creative God and He created us to be creative, to be productive and to produce. And work is something that has dignity and nobility in the Bible. And also in the Bible, accumulation of wealth and income is always associated and connected with a good, honest, hard day's work. Show up, good attitude, work hard is a biblical thing, not just a good thing. And yet, I, I saw this, do you know that an ABC News poll revealed that 25% of Americans believe that their best chance for building wealth is playing the lottery? 25% of us think the, best, the, the smartest plan for you to try to make money would be to scratch off the lotto every day. You see, that's kind of where we are. And yet the Bible says acquiring money is always associated with working hard. It refers to work as the, money as the fruit of one's labors. Um, Proverbs 28 says, hard workers have plenty of food, but playing around brings poverty. Now, there is such a thing as the working poor, but generally in life, you'll f not find hard workers going hungry. And generally in life, the harder a person works, the more fruitful and financially rewarded they are. And so all this is an important kind of baseline commandment for us that kind of fights against the entitlement mentality that is such a pervasive mindset in our society today. This idea that someone else is going to support me and it's someone else's job to do that. It's like um, 
the guy who refused to get a job and his wife complained to him and she says it's embarrassing to me you know I mean I'm ashamed of the way we live my mother pays our rent my my aunt buys our food and my sister pays our utilities it's, I'm ashamed, I, I just feel like we should do better than that and he says well you ought to be ashamed you've got two uncles that aren't sending us a dime <laughs> it's like okay so the Bible says, actually, if, though, if we're physically able, then we should work. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And, and so God knows that hard work and income should go together, and those things have a way of building dignity, nobility, and worth in a person, and that's how we contribute back to life. If you're hoping to get rich without working or have it easy without working hard, you're thinking of something that's actually outside of the principles of God's way. Maybe, maybe there's a pregame stretch that we just need to sort of get back in our regimen the day in and day out, doesn't always feel great in the moment, but it contributes to a process where you will experience blessing over time. Work hard. Fair enough? That's what God's people should do. Second, thou shalt not keep up with the Joneses. Everybody say it with me. Thou shalt not keep up with the Joneses. Right, and apologies to anyone named Jones. But we don't care where you are anymore or where you're going. You know how this works. You're, you... Um, your neighbors get new shrubs and landscaping and suddenly it's revealed to you how shabby your shrubs and landscaping looks, right? And so you have to go out and get new ones. You feel this pressure. Or you have a boat, but your neighbor gets a new boat. It's bigger, shinier, and glitzier. And suddenly you have a hankering to start getting online and typing in boats to look for new ones. And it's when we begin to put ourselves in financial peril because we've got to keep up with the Joneses. The wisdom of God's word, by contrast, says thou shalt not keep up with the Joneses. Actually, that's a pretty good paraphrase of one of the actual Ten Commandments out of the book of Exodus, which basically says in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to thy neighbor. When we covet, it doesn't just, it's not just that it's wrong, it's that it puts God in the wrong spot and it beats down our sense of contentment in life, our sense of gratitude for what we do have and gets our mind focused on what we don't have. Coveting is when you look at something and then you go beyond that to appreciating it and you go beyond that to saying, I got to have it, right? We've all underst- we all understand what that's like. I've got to have it. It starts with kids in grade school when they've got to have that lunchbox with the cars thing on it or it happens in middle school when, you know, she sees a $100 pair of jeans that her friend has on it. I've got to have a $100 pair of jeans. And every time we feed it, we, we build that monster of covetousness in us. And it's an adult when you start competing with vacations of people at work. You know, your friend, they, say, they went to the, to the French Riviera and you're thinking, man, I'm driving an 89 Buick Rivera. You know, what's the problem here? I, we get this, this jealousy thing and we, and we start busting our finances because we feel this compulsion to keep up. And yet Ecclesiastes 6 says... It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. Isn't that true? It's just so true. Here, let me set you free today. Here's how you break the competition with the Joneses, okay? The people next door, whoever they are, you declare them the winners. That's how you get out of this. You say, you, say, you know what, neighbor? You know what? Take your victory lap because you win. You win the car contest, the house contest, the shrub contest, the boat contest, the Christmas decorating light contest. You win it all and you can save yourself a lot of grief and tens of thousands of dollars. And in the space of your heart that was previously occupied by envy and jealousy and coveting and worrying about keeping up your place in the race to save your face, in your space, 
with the Joneses. Instead, in that place that used to be occupied by all that stuff, you can just let God plant seeds of gratitude and contentment. That's a rich person who knows how to live simply and appreciate what one does have, not frustrated with what one doesn't have. Are you wasting energy and time and money trying to keep up with the Joneses? You're breaking one of God's fundamental principles. More blessing, less pain this way, guys. Might be a stretch, but we can do it, right? Number three, thou shalt distinguish between what? Wants and needs. Everybody say it with me. Thou shalt distinguish between and isn't it easy to mix these up? It's so easy, isn't it? We convince ourselves very often that things that we think are wants actually become like needs. Now, the Orioles are, are doing really well. Go O's, right? Game tickets for the playoffs are going to be scarce. We might, we might see outside Camden Yard somebody that looks like this guy, this Boston Red Sox fans, right? I need, let me ask you a question. I need tickets, he sign says. Let me ask you a question. Does that guy need tickets? No, he does not. After all, it's only a Red Sox game. <laughs> he does not need tickets. He's not going to die without them. Or look at this guy here with his sandwich sign that says, we'll work for one year for one ticket. Because he thinks he needs it. Now, you cut him some slack because he's lame brain. He's a Packer fan, cheesehead. He doesn't know any better. But, but he is a good example of how we convince ourselves when we really, 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 really want something, it slips over in our mind somehow into this category where we're convinced it's actually a... Is it a need? Very often it's not. Our needs are actually a very short list. It's like one guy was asked the question, who's happier, the man with 12 children or the man with $12 million? And he said, well, the, the, the man with, with 12 children is happier. He says, why is that? Well, because the man with 12 million always wants more. Um... But isn't it true? No matter how much we have, we kind of want more. And then before long, we tell ourselves, I actually need more. And yet Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out, man. Be careful for that. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't. There's more to life than that. So this is a battle of self-control, right? Where we're just like that kid who says, I need it, I need it, I need it, I want it, and won't let go of that toy in the candy store or, or, or wherever, and, and yet it just changes for us. It's a dress or a car or a vacation or a house. So we're going to practice today. Moving forward, we're going to do a little practical lab session. Here's how it works. Okay, we're going to do a little stretch here. We're going to try saying that word. It starts with N, ends with O. Okay, and we're going to say it really loud and vigorously on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. No. That was pretty lame. No wonder. No, that's the problem right there. Let's try it again. One, two, three. No. You can say it. Ladies, do you really need to have your nails done twice a month? <laughs> Suddenly, it's a little trickier. Do we need, do we need a new iPhone? Yeah. See how hard this is? Guys, do we need a new set of rims for the car? Yeah, see, it's getting muddy. Uh, it's already hard. This principle is not saying you never go get a want or you never allow yourself any luxury or anything like that. What it's saying is don't fool yourself about what's needs and what's wants. There's a whole world out there that really is in need. And just remember as we're buying $7 cups of coffee and things like that, that there is a big difference and you've got to know the difference. If you don't know the difference, you're going to get sucked into what, what can be called impulse spending. And whenever we 
let our impulses control us, we always get in trouble. We end up in awkward situations like maybe this little guy at the zoo here. If you get into impulse spending, if you let your impulse just a little further, a little further, that's not the kind of stretch that we want to when we're led by our impulses and we just got to have something. This is the person who's at Walmart who hears there's a sale on aisle nine and I got to get over there and I got to buy two even though I didn't want or need that item when I came in. Now I got to have it. But this is the person, impulse spending is a person who, who's had a down day or a tough week or got some bad news, feeling lonely, bored, afraid, sick, tired, whatever, and says, you know what, I'm going to go shopping to help oneself. Or this is the person who's doing pretty well overall managing their money, but then they have that Achilles heel, that one budget-busting area where they just have a weakness and bam, they're gone. It's like if it's Dick's Sporting Goods or a bookstore, electronic store, the Apple store, whatever, it's like bam, they, they go and they blow it and they lose their control and they obliterate their, their financial future with, with impulse spending. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, why spend money on that which does not satisfy? Impulse spending feels good for a short moment, but in the end it is not satisfying. And most of us know that from experience. So keep our wants and our needs in check. It'll keep our self-control, which is a fruit of God's Spirit, in line. And that will control our impulse spending. Some short-term financial discomfort for some long-term blessing, folks. Okay? Is that an area where you might need to stretch to get in line with God's plan? Number four. Thou shalt put God and honor God first. Say it with me. Thou shalt honor God first. In all things of our lives, of course, including this area of finances. Put God first. This is something that happens here where we, by putting God first in our lives in the area of finances and rendering to God something that belongs to Him first off the top, it's like pulling the trigger that releases back into our life a kind of supernatural blessing that I cannot explain except to say to you that my own life and so many people have told me their stories of blessing when they've trusted God in this area even when it was a little bit of an uncomfortable stretch. Honor God first. Proverbs 3 says it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Are you doing that? And then it mentions that first fruits concept which we talked about last week. That, that stuff that comes off the top. Every one of us is given a bottle of water, right? Our provision from God. Different sizes and shapes but it comes to you and the question is when you pop the top who gets the first sip? Do you let everyone take their hit off it? Hand it to the mortgage? Hand it to yourself? Hand it to your vacation? Hand it around? And then give God the backwash? Don't expect the fruit and the blessings. Don't expect to avoid the pain if you do. First fruits off the top is a way that you can distinguish yourself as a person who puts God first. You, you don't look at what a person says they believe. You look at what a person does based on what they say they believe. And this is an area that God gives us something to do on the table in real life, a real stretch. This principle of first fruits, off the top, giving something first. We say, God, you're first in my life, so you're going to get the first gift. That's, historically, that's what the people of God have called the tithe. Tithe um, means one-tenth. It means 10%. Um, it comes from scriptures like Leviticus 27, all through the Bible. It says one-tenth of the produce of the land or the grain from the fields or fruit of the trees. Whatever it is that comes into you, it all belongs to God, but that one-tenth belongs to the Lord. I render it back to the God. I give it to God and I set it apart as holy. Not put it in play for anything else, but I say it's holy. It's consecrated. In other words, set apart for God. So it's not 10 bucks. It's not... Hundred bucks, it's not a thousand bucks, it's not any 
dollar amount, it's a percent, and it's, it's 10. And that helps give us a sense of confidence that we're doing something as a great starting place to honor God with first fruits of our income. If you, I don't know any better way to say it other than if you honor God in any area of your life, He will find ways to bless you tangibly and intangibly in your life. If you honor God in, by trying to put Him first in your family, it doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect family and no problems ever, but you will experience God's blessing in your family in lots of ways. If you try to put Him first in your business or your career, you're going you're gonna to probably you know, maybe have some issues once in a while, but you're going to experience God's blessing many-fold in your, in your business. And if you put God first in your finances, He promises that there will be a blessing that will come. It's not why we do it, in order for ourselves, but we do it to honor God and put Him first in our life. And everybody I know that I consider someone who puts God rock-solid first in their life, they're a full-blown Christ follower, they obey this commandment of God by giving a tithe to God for the work in the local church that they're part of because He's the leader of their life, they're forever grateful to Jesus and what He's done on that bloodstained cross for them, and they can't wait to honor Him in that way and see what blessing He throws back into their life. This is a promise that Carla and I have made and what we've lived by, what we've taught to our kids. We try to demonstrate it. It just feels like it gets my heart in the right place. I think this is what Deuteronomy 14 means when it says the purpose of tithing, the reason you give off the top that 10% to God is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. So this is, sometimes stretching is kind of difficult. Sometimes it hurts a little. This may hurt to say, but it's true. If you're ignoring this, this clear command of God's giving off the top to Him, don't, you can't pretend God's first in your life. You just can't. And you can't pretend that you're going to expect the blessing of God in your life um, in, in this area if it's not surrendered to Him. That's a hard stretch, but it's, it's what we really need to prepare for the blessing instead of the pain. Number five, thou shalt spend less than you earn. Everybody say that. Thou shalt spend less than you earn. And then we add it in here and do it for a long time. I mean, anybody can spend less than you earn for like an afternoon. But this one adds up and makes a sense over time. Now, this sounds like common sense, but I tell you, it's, it's difficult to execute, especially in the credit world we live in, living within our means. And it gets us into trouble. Now, I've got a kind of a, a humorous way to explain that. Maybe you've seen this uh, years ago, but this is a way that explains the difficulty some of us have. Go ahead and watch the screen. Oh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. This portion of the service has been edited due to copyright restrictions. Okay, so it makes it so simple, and it's, it's kind of nice that we can laugh at it because probably all of us have been in a situation where where maybe we have got our eyes bigger than our stomach, so to speak. And we've, we, we, it's just a simple principle to live within our means. It's not just responsible and wise. It's biblical, actually. And if you can imagine the freedom that starts to come to your life when we live within our means, then we have something left over to bless others with and do things with. 
And so that actually relates to number six. Number six, thou shalt be extremely careful about debt. Will you say that with me? Thou shalt be extremely cautious about debt. There you go. Um, let, me, let me clear something up here. The Bible doesn't say that debt is a sin. But it, 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 in fact, a lot of you could probably tell how my business, which has now flourished, was we were able to get started because we leveraged debt. Or some of you were able to own a home or pursue education. Even dynamic churches, including this one, have leveraged debt as a way of making a next move. If you harness debt, you can use it for good things as long as you don't let it harness you. Um, we get into trouble when we start accumulating debt for things particularly that depreciate in value like clothes and food and cars, electronics, eating out, vacations, this kind of thing. Did you know that 80% of car owners in the U.S. right now owe more on their car than their car is worth? Because they bought it on credit Seemed like a good idea at the time, but honestly, might not have been able to afford that car. So a lot of us are like, ouch, that's me. Someone said that the word debt, D-E-B-T, stands for dumb explanation for buying things. And, and that's, that's kind of the way we do it. It's an explanation we come up with. The Bible doesn't prohibit debt, but it does want us to see the dangers of it. One of the clearest verses and expressions of what this is like and the pain that comes when you don't stretch this way is, is Proverbs 22. It says that the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And if you've been in a situation where you've had to borrow a lot of money to get out of an emergency or to buy something you couldn't afford and then you have to make those payments and you realize, well, I don't have money to do that or I can't do that or I can't say yes to that or help that person or go on vacation. I can't do anything because I'm a slave and it doesn't feel very good. You know, credit card balances are a big deal for us. And, and someone told me that the average right now in American households is about $14,000 on credit card, just debt. So if you made the minimum payment on that, come out to like $218 a month at an average interest rate, okay? And you just started paying the minimum payment on the average of $14,000. How long do you think it would take you to pay off that debt? A couple of years, three years, four years, five years? How many? Ten years? 40 years. You pay the minimum on $14,000, you are going to pay for 40 years, and at the end of the day, you'll pay about $112,000 rather than $14,000. Excuse me, $105,000. But now imagine if you took that same $218, instead of paying your minimum payment, you were able to, instead of investing in whatever you had to pay for, you just took that same 218 and for the same period of time just put it away. In a simple compounding interest type of thing, you'd have at the end for yourself over $3 million. You can see the power of debt and the power of saving. Proverbs 20 says, plans succeed through good counsel. Now a lot of us have made some mess ups. A lot of us have gotten into places where we don't want to be or we recognize that I think I need some more help Then maybe even just a sermon is going to help me in my finances. And this is an area where I just, I just hope God speaks to whoever needs to hear this. In your seat back pocket at all of our campuses there should be a little green card and on that green card we've listed several opportunities where you could receive some great financial counsel. Grab that green card out of there. I just want to point out to you a couple of things right now that might be helpful to some of you. Um, so uh, one that's not listed there is a estate planning seminar coming up on November 7 and 8. 
This is a great aspect of stewardship where you uh, think carefully about what's going to happen to whatever it belongs to you after you die. And how, so it doesn't get into the wrong hands or get wasted or, or not, ex, not it leveraged for God's kingdom. So we offer a free seminar uh, to, to, so you can come and someone can help you think about what steps do you need to take to do that. Then on the green card, you'll see there are several. One is a faith-based personal financial workshop. That has an explanation there, particularly helpful for those who are going through difficult stages of life. There's Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University is a fantastic short course that'll help you with everything for how to get out of debt, manage your credit, write a budget, manage your finances, day-to-day, nuts and bolts, practical. Again, very practical, down-to-earth, it'll help you. There's, a, there's APG FCU is offering a seminar that is specifically designed for teens and young adults because there's some unique challenges in your stage of life. And that's what that's about. Also, Hartford Community uh, Action Agency will offer free personal financial counseling. They'll come to your home, sit down, talk with you about things, about how you can handle everything from debt to budget and, and start saving and these kinds of things. Things, help you if you're in a tough spot. I hope some of those resources will encourage and help some of you to take that step um, uh, forward. Okay? I've got time for a couple more. Let me, let me mention number seven. Thou shalt live by the 10-10-80 plan. Everybody say that. Thou shalt live by the 10-10-80 plan. What do we mean by 10 We've been talking about it around here for a long time. If you've been around Mountain, it's a very simple financial plan that every Christian financial counselor uh, as well as God's word supports and it works. It works for if you're a fifth grader with your first allowance, you're a middle schooler or a high schooler with not much money, you're, a, you're in college, you're a young adult starting to raise a family, you're in debt, you're not in debt, um, you, you've got a lot of money, you're a millionaire or you're a retired senior citizen or on your deathbed, this works. 10-10-80 we sometimes call give, save, live. That's the 10, 10, 80. And basically you give 10% of your earnings, gains and windfalls right off the top to obey the clear teaching of God in Scripture and give that 10% to God. Give 10% to God right off the top. And then you save the other 10% that comes back to you. It gives you margin and room to breathe and freedom. Before you go to the mall, you save, you put something away and then you live on the rest, that 80%. You can do it. You can live on 80%. You pay your taxes, your food, your shelter, transportation, and out of that you work a plan and a budget. And then if you have something left over, you go splurge and head up to for a weekend at the KOA in Cecil County or something like that. So, so let's be honest. Don't we most often, instead of give, save, live, don't we most often live, maybe save, Probably not give. That's the way most Americans live. But when we give to God, we get Him involved in our finances. So this give 10%, Give 10% thing, I just, I hear so many stories of those and I, I've heard so many today in between services of those saying, man, I, I, it was a long time, I, I fought it, I didn't think I could afford it or whatever, but we, 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 we started doing that and let me tell you my story about what happened, about something miraculous that happened. I hear that story, I'm going to tell some in the future here, but uh, I'll tell you, uh, maybe that's your area of stretch and you need to, to step out on that. I'm going to challenge you to, um, to, to try this tithe from now to the end of the year and you just tell me if there isn't some kind of win that comes back to you. The second 10 is 10% that you save. Save 10%. And uh, I'll be honest, this is not something that Carl and I always did. We paid God, we were always generous toward God and others, but we weren't always smart about putting money away and I wish we had. Um, but the Bible and every wise 
money manager is going to tell you this is a really smart and important practice. Skim something that comes back, and the sooner you start, the sooner you can start experiencing the benefits of some compounding interest working for you. Uh, people of wealth will tell you they didn't get a windfall. They saved faithfully, they invested wisely, and they lived simply. Solomon says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish person devours everything he has, leaves nothing, doesn't save anything. So don't spend everything you make. So what's your plan for taking something, however small, some resources and setting it aside? That would be good to set a goal. When you set goals for this last quarter of this year, as you think about your goals for next year already, set goals in every important area of your life, for your family, for your physical health, for your career perhaps, but set financial goals as well. And those goals add gravity. See, you put a goal, you write it down, that, and it pulls us toward it with a gravity pull. And... Uh, what would happen if you wrote out a goal for saving money this year and even accomplished half of it? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, it take a little stretch. might be uncomfortable, but if you want something different, you're going to have to do something different. For a lot of us, it's better to start late than never at all. And then the last, the 80%, you live on the rest by carefully managing God's resources. This is where you've got to, as Proverbs 27 says, you've got to know the condition of your flocks. You've got to pay attention to what's going on. A lot of people that are in financial trouble don't know where their money's going or where it's coming from, and they don't want to know, but that's part of the reason they're in that situation. We've got to learn how to track our, time, our, our, our dollars. And listen, everybody goes through tough times. Some of us are really struggling financially right now. Uh, some of us have mistakes that we've made. If you're a young couple or young person, we realize it can be extra difficult and you're determined to learn lessons the hard way like the rest of us did. But let me just tell you, God promises to bless us when we obey Him and this is one way that you can feel really good about following God is living by the 10-10-80 plan. Okay? Let me mention just a couple other quick things. Number eight. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. Thou shalt not ruin your kids with money. Will you say that with me? Thou shalt not ruin your kids with money. We have to recognize, friends, that it's difficult raising your kids in poverty. And many parts of the world understand that. And it's difficult raising kids. But you know what? It's just as difficult raising your kids with the dangers of affluence around them. By giving them too much too soon too easily. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 that money that comes easily disappears quickly. Money that comes easily is also not appreciated. And I think we have to face the fact that a lot of young people, and maybe our, we ourselves, don't understand what poverty looks like, don't necessarily understand and appreciate the value of a dollar or know what hard work even is because sometimes we've destroyed them and spiritually damaged them by handing everything too easily, too freely, thinking that's a form of love when actually it could be hurting them. There have been studies that have been done on this showing that, you know, this... this Raising kids in affluence can actually be damaging to their character development. So be smart. Learn to say, you know, if you're one of those people that we don't have any money, I have no problem saying no to my kid all the time. He's going to have a lot of character. Great. That's a blessing, in a sense. It may not feel like it, but it is. How many people do you know that grew up in the Depression that became great men and women of character? By the same time, if you are one of those people that's cursed with lots of affluence... You're going to have to learn to say, you know, I can buy that for you, but I'm not going to right now. And here's why. It's not according to our values or we don't really need it. It'll teach you. It'll teach them. Don't be afraid 
to hold back and teach them the 10, 10, 80 and to give to God first and that they don't have to have everything they think they need. Number nine, say it with me, will you? Thou shalt live generously. One more time. Thou shalt live generously. My friends, Jesus modeled this for us, didn't he? Jesus lived his whole life like this, open-handed. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped and held and clutched. He didn't clamor after anything this world offers. He let it all go, poured him his whole life out, the ultimate expression of generosity. And friends, we can't pretend that we're going to follow Jesus and be like Jesus if we ourselves are living our lives greedy hoarders, afraid to share and to to be generous, but rather to be like Jesus means to let the blessing of God come to you and flow through you and live generously. Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And that's just a true statement. Either you believe him or you don't. So live generously. Learn to share. Force it out of your hands and give it away. And you'll find that as you sow, you will reap. And that's a biblical principle. A generous person, the Bible says, will prosper. Lastly, number 10, thou shalt trust God. Let's say that together. Thou shalt trust God. Friends, all truth is God's truth. So the truth about God in spiritual things is God's truth. And his principles are always true. But you know what? He's also got truth in financial areas of our life. And and those principles are always true. We've talked about some of them today. And so you've got to just trust God with this area of your life as much as you do with any other area of your life. You know, as a pastor, I get to meet a lot of people in the last days of their life, sometimes the last moments or the last weeks, even the last breaths. And you know what I find is that for those people, what's truly important is crystal clear. Jesus was asked one day, what's really, really important? What's the main focus supposed to be? And the way he answered it was, he says, okay, love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. And then he told a story about serving others and serving the world. Friends, love God, love people, and serve the world. And everybody on their deathbed sees that crystal clear. They want to know, am I right with God? Am I right with the people that mean most to me? And has my life counted? Have I done something to serve in a way that mattered? And this area of financial stuff we're talking about allows you to do all three. And I don't know that you'll have peace in any of them if you don't get this one right. It helps us to know that we honored God with our wealth, with our whole self. It it keeps our priorities straight on people rather than things. And when you give to a place like Mountain where God is doing so much, it helps you know that you did something that mattered. Love God, love people, serve the world. That's what matters. And then when you do slip away and breathe your last, you'll be with God forever, and that's when you're truly rich. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask for your help today in not only hearing the word but doing it. We pray for those who maybe have heard some of this and are tempted to walk out the door and have nothing changed, but help us, Lord, to be encouraged by your Spirit, to follow through and to seek the blessing from you in our life by doing things your way in every area. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.